season eight is rolling on and we've got a treat for you today. Alicia Menendez, an anchor at MSNBC and the author of The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed As You Are, which came out in 2019. As I said in episode one of this season, listeners, season eight is a bit of a potpourri season. Current nonfiction books, as we always have, yes, but also some throwback picks like today's conversation and even a little fiction sprinkled in. A little bit of everything, if you will. This book resonated deeply with me four years ago and it still does today. What is the likability trap? Well, if you've ever felt like you're too much and not enough all at once, if you've ever felt like being too nice can hurt you, but being too assertive can also hurt you, and you don't know how to be yourself, if you almost feel guilty for success because you are advancing and someone isn't, then you, like me, might be stuck in the likability trap. This affects all people, but mostly women, and I have cared my entire life, I'm a bit ashamed to say, about what people think about me. Alicia put words to thoughts I've had for so long and made me feel seen and helped provide me a framework to improve this. I'm positive there are people out there who genuinely don't care what others think, and I can't imagine how much time I'd get back if I could let this completely go. I do a little more each year, but I'm in no way free of the likability trap yet. Someday I will be. So who is Alicia Menendez? Well, she is one of my favorite guests for starters. Alicia and I are kindred spirits and that's something I could tell instantly. She hosts American Voices with Alicia Menendez on MSNBC. She's also a contributing editor at Bustle and is the host of its Latina to Latina podcast. She's also the daughter of U.S. Senator Bob Menendez, who has represented New Jersey since 2006. Alicia is a Harvard graduate and was selected to deliver the commitment address for the class of 2005. She has been with MSNBC since 2019, and The Likeability Trap is so far her only book, but I hope there's more to come. Take a listen to our conversation. Alicia, what a total honor it is to have you here today to talk about this very important topic that resonates so much with me. Welcome to the show. Rachel, I'm so excited for this conversation. Me too. Me too. How often do you have conversations about the likability trap anymore? Because the book did come out four years ago. So has it been a minute since you've talked about the book? No, Rachel, this book has had such a long tail. I feel like Mm -hmm. people are still discovering it and girlfriends are passing it off to other girlfriends. So I talk about it a lot. Yeah, I, I probably talk about your book at least a couple times a month. Your book and Fair Play by Eve Rodsky. Are oh, I love that, Eve. I know she's coming on the show later at that spoiler alert listeners. And I am thrilled about you both. You have no idea. I, I think I recommend both of your books seriously, probably every other week to someone. But I want to start by saying that I, and I know millions of other women in particular people, but women in particular feel very seen by this book. I just told you that offline. I too have spent most of my life in the likability trap. And right from the introduction of the book, I knew that Alicia, you got me, you write, it is very important to me that you like me. And I hate to admit that about myself, but that is important to me too. And was, was that a difficult sentence to write or to come to terms with and a difficult truth to come to grips with? Absolutely brutal. Even as I hear you read it back to me, Rachel, my hands start to sweat because I would love to be a person who 
doesn't care what other people think of me and who really operates fully from an internal compass. But ever since I was little, I've been really attuned to the way that other people think, feel, Mm -hmm. perceive me, which I would argue can also be a superpower. The challenge for people like us is when it becomes the most dominant force in our lives. Exactly. And I've really been working a lot in the past few years on internal validation and not needing that external validation. But that is that is what I relied on for the, ma- the vast majority of my life. But I, I read the book when it first came out in 2019. I reread it. I've reread it a couple of times since, and I just reread it to prepare for our time together today. Um, as I always do, I close the book feeling empowered and motivated, but throughout the book, I'm going to be honest with you, Alicia, I felt exhausted because uh, I know overcoming you this- and all the Amazon yeah. reviewers felt this. Yeah. <laughs> well, because overcoming this seems insurmountable sometimes. So I guess probably the most logical place to start is to explain to listeners who haven't read the book, what the likability trap is and where the idea for the book originated. You know, I originally wanted to write a book that was like eat, pray, love for likability, where as a person who cares a lot about being well-liked, I would go out into the world, eat gelato, do yoga, and learn to care a lot less. But because I'm a journalist, before I embarked on that adventure, I had conversations with other women. And there are lots of women like you and me, Rachel, who Mm -hmm. very much care about what other people think of them. But there are also a lot of women, more women than I suspected, who don't give a damn, who are truly themselves. And I imagine that those women were just out there living their best lives unencumbered by the things that you and I find ourselves encumbered by. And instead, what I heard from them was that they also feel they pay a price for being themselves. And so that became really interesting to me. Why is it that we are burdened with this expectation, whether or not we care? Because Instagram and memes would have you believe that it like you just, you do you. Mm -hmm. And then the whole world, you know, falls away and things become clear. In reality, we have to contend with this expectation that women should, you know, be well-liked. So I call it the likability trap. As you all know, there are actually several traps. I outline three, one being this idea that what we expect of leaders, which is uh, assertion and ability to go to the mat, is not what we expect of women. We expect women to be warm and communal. So when a woman shows up acting the way we expect leaders to act, she Mm -hmm. violates the expectation we have of women. And when she's a woman and shows up, you know, in ways that we expect women to show up when she's warm and communal, then we think, oh, she doesn't really have what it takes to lead. So that's the the core trap that we are up against, right? That mm-hmm. when we are assertive, all of a sudden people are like, Ugh, I don't like her. But if you're not assertive enough, then people think you don't have what it takes to lead. There's also the likability success penalty, which I'm going to guess a lot of your readers um, and listeners, you know, they, you know, there's this idea that the more successful you become, the less other people like you just because we're not accustomed to seeing women be successful. And I think what, what we get wrong about that is this idea that that's like a one-time choice. Do you want to be well-liked or do you want to be successful when in reality, at every pivot point in a woman's career, she is making little choices about how hard she wants to push for that raise, how hard she wants to push for that promotion, how hard she wants to be put on the stretch assignment, because she knows that in advocating for herself, there's the possibility that she'll get dinged in likability and that can actually slow down her career. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then, you know, because again, you're familiar with the book, there's 
this call right now for authenticity, this idea that if you want to be a great leader, you have to show up authentically as yourself. But what does that mean for anybody who falls out of our preconceived notion of what a leader looks like, sounds like, and how they show up in the world? You know, I wasn't planning on asking this, Alicia, but how are we still having this conversation in 2023 is, is my question. How is this still so, and this is semi-rhetorical, but how, how is it that we have not overcome this, you know, in, in a world where we've made so many strides forward, how are we still not here with, with the likability trap and, and, you know, the, this conundrum that women are in? I love this question. And it brings me back to one of the core reasons that I wanted to to write the book, which is we've called out a lot of things that show up as bias in the world and in the workplace that are very overt. And I would argue that likability is one of the final semi-socially acceptable ways to talk about bias, mm-hmm. right? To be like, mm, I don't know. I just like, Rachel's is not my cup of tea. And it's like, well, what, why? Like, what about her do you not like? And very often. The classic line, there's just something about her, which is. Something about her. All the, yes. So. That or she doesn't have it. And like, you can't quite tell me what it is. Exactly. Um, exactly. So I think that's part of why we're having it. Because sometimes the things that are the most subtle are often the most pernicious. Mm, You said that. So the book argues that women in particular often have to choose, as you just outlined beautifully, between success and likability. So again, why has society done this to us? And why is it that men don't seem to have the same issue, at least not to the degree that women do? I'm not going to say that they never do, but certainly not to the degree that women do. Well, because we're accustomed to seeing successful men. And and I mean like success in a pretty particular context, like mm-hmm. C-suite success, executive leader success, success that was someone navigating success within a system um, that was or wasn't designed for them, right? Mm-hmm. Different than, um, you know, um, success where someone has sort of like invented themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's part of why that we we remain sort of suspicious of women who are able to be successful because we're so unaccustomed to seeing it that when we do, we think, wow, what was she willing to do to Mm. be that successful? And when you think about it, the way that I think about it, which is not just that, you know, that final ascension, but all the things along the way, I think it's like easy to ignore that in order to get ahead, you have to be able to advocate for yourself. But when women advocate for themselves, regardless of how big or how small the thing is that they're advocating for, we as a society are still really unaccustomed to seeing that and that being our baseline expectation. I just don't know what more we have to do to get used to this. You know, I mean, I just, and I'm going to talk in a minute about the first female president question that just, mm-hmm. I would think of the whole time I read this book, but I just, and again, this is rhetorical, but I just don't know what, what more do we need? You know, we've got female CEOs, we've got women in the second highest political office in the country. When will we be used to seeing women 
in power and not, and this not be an issue. I wish this for our children that we will, that I, I love your book, but I wish that your book will become completely irrelevant. Yes, me too. Me too. I really do. 100%. I mean, I will say one, I think, I think it is a fine way to ask the question, why are we not accustomed to seeing women in power? I also Mm -hmm. think a different way of asking uh, the, that question is, why has our idea of what a leader looks like remained so narrow? Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes a more inclusive conversation, right? It's like I, as a woman who is assertive, should be able to show up in the workplace, be assertive, be direct, get things done so long as I am mindful of others and kind and results oriented. And no one should have a problem with that style of leadership. Likewise, you should be able to be a man who once in a while gets really emotional at the office, cries at the office, Mm -hmm. cares a lot, checks in with others and not be dinged for the sense that you are not showing up in a way that is sufficiently alpha. So when I think, when we think of it as like, how do you take this idea of leadership, which has remained pretty narrow and begin to widen it out so that not just more women, but more people find themselves reflected back, that's when Mm -hmm. I think you actually start to get changed. And to realize like a lot of it happens, yes, does it happen when you go into the voting booth or mail in your ballot in November? Sure. But it also happens like with the intern who is around for the summer, who either gets to actually do something that stretches her ability where instead of saying like, oh, she was super helpful to me, you're clear with people about what it was that she contributed to a project so that other people can begin to see her as a person of value and a person who makes contributions, Mm -hmm. right? Like these things show up in such day-to-day ways where we really do have the power to begin flipping how we talk about people, how we position people and how we imagine people's professional trajectories. Mm-hmm. That's so well said. And, you know, I'm just sitting here thinking the likability trap to me is and really just womanhood. And if you're going into the professional realm is like a game of chess. We have to strategically plot our next move and be cognizant of each room that we're in. And so we like, we're sitting in this, in the chess square, what I don't play chess, but I know the concept. And so I'm, we're sitting in the chess square and we have to think about each next move and, 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 and balancing that, that likability and success. And, and it's often a can't win situation as, as we have already discussed, if you're too nice or likable, you're not taken seriously. If you're not likable enough, excuse, I, I say, excuse my language as if this is not my show, I can cuss on my own show. If, if you're not like, well, you're, you're a bitch. And so it seems as though we are completely set up to fail. And I know you would agree with that. So you've talked about what the likability penalty is and what the success penalty is. But I want you to go into another phrase that I've never heard before until your book, and that's the Goldilocks conundrum. So can you explain that for us? Yep. Too warm, too cold. A woman, it seems, Mm -hmm. is never just right. You know, most of women disproportionately receive critical subjective feedback, meaning people love to talk to us about whether our voice is, is low enough or high enough or whether we speak slowly enough, how we use our hands, how we sit in a chair. And most of that feedback tends to show up in feedback sessions where you likely have heard one of two things. You've either been told everybody loves you, 
You are such an asset to this office. We're just not sure you have what it takes to jump to the next level. But what is it again? And what is it? Earlier, yeah. 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 And very often what it is, is more of a hard charging style. Um, and, and, or you've been told like, yeah, you deliver like, yes, like your numbers are off the charts, but you know, you just kind of route people the wrong way. And, mm. you know, and so there you have it, that you are either the person who is showing up in a way that is perceived as too warm. You are either perceived as too cold, either way, you're not right. And that, and, and there are a lot of women like myself, I don't know if you've had this experience, Rachel, but I have been given both sets of feedback in different contexts. Yes, I have. Yes, exactly. It's like, yeah. well, okay, well, which one am I? Right. And because, well, you're both, you contain multitudes. And, and really what it is, is that you are at the mercy of the person who is giving you that feedback. Mm-hmm. It's based on, exactly. on their style and the way that their style interacts with your style and often a lack of awareness about the way that their own personal preference is showing up. And like, let me just say, I am no angel here. I am a person who, for example, is low conflict. I don't, I don't enjoy conflict. Mm-hmm. I don't thrive on conflict. So I have a lot of challenge. It is, is hard for me to be on teams with people who are just high conflict. I also need to be on teams with people who are high conflict because if it were up to me, I would just put together a merry band of people who got along really well mm-hmm. and then weren't ever able to call each other out on stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, same. And, but there are people that truly thrive in that environment. That person is not me. And they probably are the people actually, let's go ahead and talk about those people. The book talks about, and I know that these people exist, but I can't fathom how freeing it must be to be one of them. People who genuinely do not care what people think about them. I may never, and probably will never be one of those people, at least not fully. And I would love the hours of my life back that I have spent wondering how this person feels about me or am I enough or do they like me? And how, if they don't, then how can I get them to, you know, I'm never going to fully get there. And I doubt you will either. Cause that's just not how we're hardwired, but how can I, or the collective, we, if we want to be more like this, how can we take baby steps towards less external validation needs and more internally validating? It is the core question that if I'm being 100% honest with you, I can't fully answer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think something that I have found like outside of therapy and coaching, both of which I always highly recommend. One of the things that is, you know, a thing you can do today that I have found particularly helpful is I have a handful of girlfriends who are on a, a chat thread and they are all about my age and about the same level in their career. And they know me really well. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean, they see like the the extent of my potential. They see me as my greatest possible self. And they also see the limitations, the flaws, the things that I could improve upon. And I think that's really critical, right? Like this is not a group of cheerleaders. Right. And it's also not a group of haters. It is it is a group of discerning people who love you mm-hmm. to whom I can come and say, hey, this thing happened and I feel weird about it. Does this sound like me? Like, does this sound like I am how I show up in the world or or the feedback that I'm being given? How does that land for you? And if you have the right group, they will be able to say, you know, that actually does 
sound like something that you could probably work on, right? Like I know you, you think of yourself as being really deliberate and specific, but sometimes that shows up as indecision and I can see how it work. That would be a challenge. Okay. Like that is like a helpful gut check. I've also gone to them and shared things with them where they're like, that's garbage. Ignore that person. And the ability to have like, to almost like have an outside voice that can assess for you these things. I personally just find gets me out of my own head. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. Having a core group like that, the truth tellers is so so important. And I, you know, I'm on the journey with you. I read this book four years ago. I'm on what I'm calling loosely the likability journey. I'm I'm curious to know four years after the book's publication, where are you at on your likability journey today? How, how are you still as affected as you were four years ago, or has talking about this ad nauseum for four years helped <laughs> you helped you down the path? It is definitely, it is definitely helped. Um, and it is definitely, I think like maybe where it has helped me most is actually in the way that I show up as a manager, right. Where sometimes mm-hmm. like I, and like as a mentor and as a sponsor, we're like, I, I love helping other people and I love giving feedback. And it's really forced me to think about like, is this feedback I'm giving absolutely necessary? Is this feedback I'm giving about style or substance? And is the thing that I am catching actually impacting the results that this person has at work? And would it be more helpful for me, you know, like I have someone who I consider a mentee and like, it it would be really easy once a quarter to pull her in and be like, you need to rewrite your resume. You need to do this. Or, you know, to talk to her about like the way that she's self-presenting in meetings. And instead what I've tried to do is be like, there is a job here that I think would be great. I'm going to put you in touch with the hiring manager. Mm -hmm. Like those, those things where you actually open a door for someone, leverage your Rolodex, that's how you help someone. That's how you advance someone else. And like that brings me such meaning and such joy and gets me out of the space of like sitting around thinking about what other people are thinking about me and instead doing for others. Yes, exactly. And you know, I love doing that kind of stuff. Like I literally look forward to opportunities to be able to lift someone up like that. And, and I know I, I can already tell that you are the same way. I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, there is no simple answer to wait, Rachel, I want to say something else. I'm sorry. Can I say one more thing? The the other thing that it has really helped me with, this is a more personal answer than the answer I just gave you about work, which is I had to edit my friends. Yeah. Like I had to look through my friends and Mm -hmm. think this is a relationship where I don't actually feel safe and I don't feel like I can show up as myself. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I feel that I am doing a performance of myself. That is you and I, I am 40. You are slowly approaching 40. Let's not um, go into that. Yeah, no, 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 it's great. Actually, you know what? Let's do, because I'm yeah. looking forward to my 40. I just turned 37 last week, listeners. Yeah. Around 38, I started just saying that I was 40 and it made 40 land so much more softly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people are like, you look amazing. And you're like, well, like I'm rounding up, but, um, <laughs> it, you know, the older you get, and I wish, so for those of you who are in your 20s and early 30s, like I just spent so much time trying to sell Mm. and not thinking about if I wanted to buy. And I Um, wish that I would have made that shift sooner. 
Okay. I want you to say that again. You've spent so much time trying to sell, not knowing if you wanted to buy. That not- is so powerful because that's, I feel like, and this, this is a whole other conversation, but I feel like my, all of my stuff, if you will, leads back to one origin point, And that is that I often feel like I'm not enough. And so I, you're right. Like it does become a constant sale of myself, whether it's to a man or to a boss or to a friend or to whoever. And, but yeah, that's such a good point. Do I, am I even interested in, in buying that? Like, am I wasting God that's okay. There's, there's going to be a lot of takeaways from, I'm going to have to listen to this a couple times back, but you had what you just said. And and I agree with the editing of, of, and that's tough by the way, especially for someone like you and I, who does not like conflict, who, you know, would stick around in a friend. I'm speaking for myself, not you, but would stick around in a friendship or a relationship for that matter, far past its expiration date, just to avoid having someone be upset or ruffle feathers. But what I was going to say is if there is a solution and it's not this cut and dry and simple and easy, the solution to getting out of the likability trap is to fully know yourself and be yourself. And then to others, accept others as their full selves. But again, it's not that cut and dry and simple and easy. But I do like, I do like that as a framework, which is like the work has to start inside. And then the, the grace that you are asking of others, mm-hmm. you also have to extend. Like it, my husband and I have had some interesting conversations where he will come to be like, I don't really like this person. I work with. And we'll talk through it where it's like, what is, what is it? Like, what is yeah. showing up for you? And what can it more than what can it tell you about that person? What can it tell you about yourself? Yeah. And, you know, just being able to own who we are, if we are nice, if we are not be ourselves and accept others for being themselves, but that is a tall order and not everybody is um, as far down the self-awareness journey as we are, unfortunately, but I, um, I want to know, you know, I've thought, I thought about this as I read the book is the likability trap. Why ultimately you think we haven't elected a female president yet, because there's no one that, I've heard the phrase, there's just something about her, meaning there's just something about her that I don't like, but I can't name it and put my finger on it than Hillary Clinton. Right. And I don't think, I mean, I can think of few people that that phrase has been said for more and she's the closest we've ever come, I would say to having a female president. So is, is this conundrum why you think that we haven't had a woman in the Oval Office yet? I think it is more complicated than that. I think there are questions of, you know, when women get into politics, how different candidates are resourced. Um, but yeah, I think this is certainly an element of it. And I want to say, since you acknowledge something, I love that you said this because I felt the same way, which is mm-hmm. like, you know, this book can kind of be a downer if you just sit in the reality of what we're doing. And I wanted to outline for people like, this is real, this is happening, what you feel you are up against at work in your life. This is not in your head. This is like a very real, complicated social mm-hmm. dynamic that is bigger than you and you need to understand so you can begin to contend with it. Mm-hmm. That said, a glimmer of hope, I would say, was when Joe Biden was deciding who he was going to choose as his presidential running mate. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of women, a lot of women of color who were in the mix. And I saw something that I had not ever seen before, which is traditionally 
when people's names are being mentioned for vice president, like you demure, you say basically like, oh, like I'm so flattered to have my name in contention, but I'm focused on getting this person elected. Mm-hmm. This time you sort of heard people, I I often um, ascribe this to Stacey Abrams. She was at least the first person I ever saw do it where she said, yes, I would love to be the vice president. And let me tell you why mm-hmm. I am imminently qualified to do that. She would lay out her qualifications. She would lay out the cases for herself. And then she would button it up with, but whoever is the nominee, I will support them and, and, and Joe Biden. And then you saw Kamala Harris doing it. You mm-hmm. saw um, a number of uh, members of Congress doing it and just became normal. It became totally normal to see a woman say, I want this. I deserve this. I'm advocating for myself, but also like I'm on the team and I will do mm-hmm. whatever. I, and that I think is like part of where we want to go, which is like it didn't give people like me who are in television news much to talk about because they were all doing it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't unusual to see it. And so like, I think that is a good example of where things can head. And and the benefit of having races where you have multiple women in the race mm-hmm. and then, you know, gender becomes less of the dividing line. And no one would blink an eye or think twice if a man said, yeah, I want that. But that's a novel concept for women. And I'm so glad that there are people like Stacey Abrams and Kamala Harris who open the door to for us to ask for what we want and not be ashamed of that. And still you can and still be supportive. You can have both things in this in this instance. And I I'm I'm very I just I'm very into politics or I was. I had to take a step back as many did in the past, you know, 2016 onward, but I'm, I'm excited. I I hope I'm hopeful. We'll just say that. And I want to be respectful of your time. I could, I I feel like you're a kindred spirit of mine in a hundred ways, but I think at the end of chapter nine in the book, you write beautifully. What if women were allowed to lead exactly as they are? How high could we fly if no one was clipping our wings? So that was a rhetorical question in the book, but I actually am interested in the answer. How would the world shift on its axis if women did not have to worry about the likability trap anymore? How much more could we, not just women, but just all of us get done for society if we could take this out of the equation? There's sort of an infinite answer to that question, Mm -hmm. but what it makes me think of is is this challenge that's before women of our generation and the women who are coming behind us, which is the idea as we ascend into leadership positions is not simply to lead the way that we have watched other people lead. It's actually to become better leaders. It's to become more inclusive leaders, more imaginative leaders, leaders who actually go around the table and make people feel valued and understand the value of a diversity of perspectives and opinion, and then use that to actually inform the work that we do, regardless of what that work is. Mm-hmm. And so I think the the call is not just to get there, but to get there and then to be willing and brave enough to reimagine what that can look like mm-hmm. um, in, in a way that is driven by how you do the work, you get the results, and you make the world, even just your corner of the world, a better place in the process. 
Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a great point because I don't think there's one of us that can solve this issue in totality, but what we do have control over is ourselves and our actions and our words and how we interface with the world and how we operate. And I think that going forward is all we can do is, is take our corner of the world and ourselves and try to escape this. Because if we do it, then hopefully like Stacey Abrams, it will model the way others will do it and it will become more normalized that yes, women can be exactly who they are and not have to constantly play that chess game of, okay, you know, sitting in each, each step, having to overanalyze, how do I move from here? and just move as, as you feel comfortable moving. And I ask this question often of my guests as we close our time together. My last question for you is after readers close the book and they've got a lot on their minds because it's, it's a lot to take in. What do you hope that readers say about the likability trap at the end of their reading of the book? Oh, it wasn't just me. Uh, that's exactly. And that is exactly I said that on the, I said that in the introduction, I said that from page one, exactly right. Well, also the introduction is the best part of the book because I spent six months writing the introduction and then six really? months scrambling to write the rest of it. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, I am so glad that it actually resonated. No, I just, I read that line and I was like, well, she said it. She said, she finally said what I've been too ashamed to put words to because it's a little embarrassing that I care, but I care. And maybe that's not such a bad thing, but I, I'm not going to let it run my life as it has in the past. And there's just so much to unpack and think about. The book made such a splash in 2019 for a very good reason. It's relatable. It's a problem that deserves our collective attention. I thank you for shining light on it. Again, the book is The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. It's one of my forever favorites. And I thank you so much for being here today. What a treat. What a treat for me. Thank you so much for inviting me, for sharing your platform and for making me feel so special, Rachel. Thank you, you are special. We all are. And let's go forward listeners and just be who we are. And thank you again for being here today. I love that this season is spotlighting some books that came out even before I'd rather be reading launched back in 2021. That's the beauty about this being my show is that I can make the rules for once and bring on whoever I want. And when I was thinking of this season, Alicia was at the absolute top of the list for guests I just had to have. And thank you so much, Alicia, for saying yes. Again, the book is The Likeability Trap, How to Break Free and Succeed as You Are. It is out now. And I'm not big on giving assignments, listeners, but if I was, I'd say your assignment this week is to own who you are, be proud of who you are, and be that person totally, fully, completely, and unapologetically. We have so many conversations already recorded and lined up in the queue for you. It makes me a little bit giddy, to be honest with you. I can't wait for you to see who will be on the show next. <laughs>